0: And though it doesn't feel like this now, this pandemic will pass. It won't last forever. And one day, hopefully soon, we will be looking back on it, not living through it.
1: What you've seen throughout this crisis is that the, the union working together with the, the, the money for supporting people through furlough, the, the army working on the, on the testing, moving people around. But now what we want to do is build back better together.
0: The reputation of the Scottish government tainted. The standing of this parliament diminished. A culture of secrets and cover up that is only growing and it is all taking place on Nicola Sturgeon's watch. There is a reputation here that I think is uh, perhaps disintegrating before our eyes and it's uh, it's not mine may, may I say but Ruth Davison has just gone through there uh, a litany of nonsense.
1: The Steamy, a laudable production for The Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. My name is Conor Matchett. I'm a politics correspondent at the paper. With me today, as per usual, is our politics editor, Alistair Grant, and our Westminster correspondent, Alex Brown. It's been another week. I was off last week um, on Monday, so I, I, I missed talking once again about Partygate. But here we are, one week on, and we're going to talk about Partygate again, albeit more briefly... Alex, we'll start with you. By the time this podcast goes out, we're assuming that the sugo report will either be out or out imminently. We're recording this on Monday morning. Let's throw it forward in that sense and talk about what might happen if in however many months it becomes so damaging that Johnson goes. Do you think that that's a possibility anymore with the Partygate scandal or has he ridden it out?
2: I think he has probably ridden it out because the the report's going to be watered down because the met are institutionally corrupt or Davey davy might say not me which is an insane thing to say as leader of opposition just under my he said ad uh, davy's on the sunday is going people need to be able to trust the met after tweeting the met are corrupt that they're, they're pulling a fast one which is just it's nice to hear an opinion from a lib dem but I think that the yeah, MPs are softening the whole, oh, Ukraine, we'd have to do a general election nonsense line appears to be working with MPs. And the fact that Boris Johnson broke the rules, admitted he broke the rules, and then basically has in so many ways told Parliament that he has misled them won't be enough. The report's going to be diluted and he is going to get away with it for a bit longer. But the, the Labour is still ahead in the polls. 63% of the, pop- uh, of the population on polling still think he should resign. So it's not the end of him immediately, which, you know, I think for a brief while, many of us thought it would be. But it is a hammer blow. It's hugely damaging. And I would still be very surprised if he makes it to a second term. Maybe the follow up question to that
1: is, you know, can he recover if he's maybe ridden it out? Could he recover to a point of being able to fight a second general election and tackle the main issues. Potentially beat Sir Keir Starmer because, as you say, the polling at the minute looks like it's terminally changed in favour of Labour. Um, obviously, we'll wait for a few more before you can say that for certain. But you know, the, the gap that Labour have opened up is the biggest for decades. Almost, um, it feels like there's that that clamour from the opposition that it's time for a change might have found its way through with Partygate.
2: Yeah, I mean, Labour's tactic throughout Keir Starmer's leadership has been just basically be quite fine without really offering anything and wait for Boris Johnson to do the sideshow Bob thing of stepping on a rake um, and then turning and which he's done if each rake was a scandal or a self-inflicted um, mistake. And and he has done that um, with unfettered enthusiasm so yeah things are good for labor but boris is still he's still a phenomenal campaigner and that would probably be the concern uh, maybe the, the fact the tory mp is not as angry as they were suggests that the letters uh for not not to the uh, graham brady but just for their constituents are drying up people are beginning to kind of go a bit like the barnard castle thing it's really bad they all lied but you know let's get on with it so i do think he can ride it out but the, the key thing to recover is going to be policy right it's all very well and good because last time we had to get Brexit done. And obviously, we haven't really got Brexit done at all. It's still, you know, we're still, it's worth remembering Brexit has hit this country economically more than the pandemic, which is completely ignored for some reason But when the government talked about how fantastic uh, leaving the EU is. And even now, the splashes were about, uh, you know, we're cutting EU regulation and red tape, uh, which could save one billion. I mean, the mathematics don't appear to necessarily hold up on that. And cutting red tape has been the mythical, like, oh, Boris can say that and it will save him for a long time. But, but there is nothing. There is no policy. We are two and a half years through his leadership. Well, two years now since he uh, since Brexit was delivered anyway. Um, and what what policy is that to speak of? What huge agenda beyond leveling up is there that you can associate with this government? So they they don't have ideas. And, and, and that's shown with uh, a big announcement this week that was about, Oh, we're gonna leveling up, we're gonna restore it, and there's gonna be loads of money here. When actually it emerged, that money had been announced last year, and they were just repackaging it and re-announcing it to try and save the Prime Minister. They had they have no ideas. So it I don't think it's Christmas gonna be enough. I think I think it's done.
0: Alistair, what are your thoughts? I'd agree with a lot of that to be honest. I mean, I think he, he probably has written it out for now. I think one of the problems with these types of scandals is when they go on for days and days, people just lose interest to degree, the news agenda moves on a little bit kind of other issues come to the fore, people get a bit bored. And I think Boris Johnson knows that. That's one of the things that they're kind of relying on or kind of hoping for in this this whole kind of saga. So I think he has ridden it out. But I mean, as Alex says, he has been extremely damaged. I think you've still got the issues of the kind of position in the polls. We've got the local elections coming up in May. It remains to be seen what kind of impact it's going to have on that. So I think longer term, I still don't think he's going to uh, certainly not lead them into the next general election, just the way things are going. But for now, he seems to he seems to be safe in the immediate future.
1: He feels doomed, doesn't he? It's whether or not that comes with you know the Sue Gray report, which, as Alex has said, you know is going to be watered down most likely, or with the Met Police investigation. You know the results of that and fixed penalty notice was potentially being issued to staff members and even maybe the Prime Minister. You know it's either going to be that, it's either going to be a total embarrassment at the local elections in May, or it's going to be a loss at the general election or, you know, another regicide operation by the by Tory MPs in the interim. He feels like he's gone. And you, Alex, you, you mentioned levelling up. There's a big report due on that on Wednesday, the Conservatives' big policy
2: agenda. And I honestly couldn't tell you what it means. Nobody knows what it means. It's provocative. Some of the most exquisite polling uh, last week said that levelling up is now more associated with the Labour Party. Like this huge thing that they've got that means nothing. And now people think, oh, Labour, they'll level up. It's really, really funny. They renamed a the department after it and people still don't know what it means. It just means improving general areas. But the report has been delayed and delayed. And then you think about the town's fund for deprived areas, which disproportionately went to Tory MPs. I mean, Robert Jenrick said the decision was not made by him. It was made by his... Uh- <laughs> you know, the junior minister in his department to then give the funding to him. But then he also denied it. It's, uh, it's all very dodgy. There's the pressure on them because it's such a flagship thing and it means nothing. I mean, we've seen the prime minister try and do speeches about it and it hasn't gone gone anywhere. I mean, forget Peppa Pig. His speech at conference, which I tried to talk about leveling up, meant absolutely nothing. It was embarrassing. And I don't know. I mean, they're waffling more than I am at this point. They, there is no real meaning to it yet. And we've been talking about it forever. It's like, they get Brexit done. It meant something. You knew what it meant. And they're so desperate to have a phrase that cuts through. And they keep repeating it to try and get it cut through. But you've got to think of the policy first. You can't think of the... You don't get the pun and then work backwards. But that basically seems to be the the Tories' approach to governance. Alistair, what's your
1: take on levelling up? Because, I mean, it's a big issue... You know, from where I'm from where I'm from originally in the north of England, but given where we cover up here, there are significant parts of Scotland which have been, especially the Scottish Conservatives would argue, left behind by the SNP in terms of devolved government. There's other aspects of of Scotland which relied exceptionally heavily on EU funding. I mean, it's it's a big opportunity if you get whatever this amorphous concept of levelling up is right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, I suppose the problem with leveling up in a way is has, there's actually nothing, you know, the idea itself is kind of admirable. There are left behind areas of the UK. There are areas that need more investment, that need more more attention from, from London and from Westminster. But it's so, it's such a huge concept that it needs to be kind of specified exactly what they're going to do, what it means in practice. But it's like one of those ideas that people come up with in kind of meetings at a business, you know, a kind of business meeting where no one can argue with it. You know, it's a great idea, but is it actually going to happen? Is anything going to change? And I think, you know, you had reports at the weekend that this big kind of levelling up report is due this week, we think maybe Wednesday, and the report said it's 400 pages long, you know, so it's, it's this huge unwieldy document. And I just wonder how much of that is going to be waffle, how much of it's going to be statements that you can't disagree with, but are ultimately kind of meaningless. I mean, to actually make changes to all of these areas, it's going to take a huge amount of money and a huge amount of political will and sustained over a long period of time as well. It can't just be a fad that comes and goes. You know, there are definitely areas of the Northeast that could massively benefit from this. When you look at parts of Scotland, they could as well, although that obviously throws up problems with kind of, well, I suppose what the SP would interpret as interfering in devolved areas. I think particularly if it's kind of capital spending, spending on infrastructure and things like that. But I, I suppose we wait and see what it says, but I, I'm not convinced that, you know, this is actually going to lead to a huge amount of change in the long run even though politically it should. And it is, in and of itself, an admirable issue.
1: In the start of my career, I worked in uh, one of the most deprived areas in the country, in Lowestoft, which is historically Labour switched to Conservative and Brexit, former fishing village. Every every single Brexit cliche applied to Lowestoft. And yet, from a levelling up point of view, all of the issues that sort of town faces, and this is replicated across the country, are almost structural to the town's nature rather than, you know, on the face value, something that could be solved by a 30 million pound bridge, for example, or extra cars. And there's a contradiction in it from the Scottish Conservatives' point of view of they're consistently calling for more local decision making. And yet with the leveling up fund, we're going the other way. We're going even more centralized than we were with the SNP and their their, you know, as the Tories would put it, their attacks on council you know decision making and you've got the UK government coming in and deciding what is and isn't important to to solve some of these you know structural issues that that affect these towns it seems to be both you know politically incoherent as well as incoherent from a policy point of view alex i don't know what you think in in terms of its future, do you think it will make a blind bit of difference to how people vote? You know, we, we look at the EU funds, the places that voted most heavily for Brexit tended to get the most money from the
2: EU. I would say that it will, because we, the Conservatives won the Hartlepool by election. When they spoke to people there, they were saying how they'd had a Labour MP for ages and the town hadn't regenerated, they hadn't got a lot of investment. And you think, okay, you've had a local MP. Who's been in power since 2010? <laughs> it's the Conservatives. So it, even though the Conservatives have been in power and they have been the party underfunding everything for so long, they are the party of austerity, people will still go, well, you know, I had a Labour MP if I get a Tory one, I might get investment. And I know that seems like a really either how it should work or how it shouldn't, but that is that is the idea. People think if they get a Conservative MP, and it probably is the case now, they are more likely to get investment in their seat because if the tory is going to win you may as well get a tory is going to win for you get money for you rather than a labour mp who might struggle to so i mean we're already seeing it has cut through though it's worth noting that obviously that was a little while ago where, where the prime minister's stock was still a little bit higher i'm not sure a visit from him at the moment would actually aid any campaign but yeah it's an interesting thing to battle over isn't it really because you're you know you want to invest in places but i don't know how you do that evenly. I don't know how you can just bring everyone up at a time when you're also raising taxes. Because you know this is happening in, in spite of the cost of living crisis. People are facing unprecedented energy bills and they're getting taxed more than ever. National insurance is going up. I don't think that saying, okay, well, here's a little bit of, <laughs> have a crumb of infrastructure, is going to mean that people still won't be able to heat their houses or afford food. I suppose the other aspect of this
1: is, do Labour have a legitimate alternative in in their policy program that that can deliver on on the aims and goals of levelling up while calling it and doing it something else does that appear in their policy program is it
2: known to people they wouldn't do the national insurance rise but i don't think i don't think labor really need to have any strong policy really the, that, <laughs> that sounds really silly but the, the great issue with i said the great issue with jeremy corbyn there were so many issues with jeremy corbyn that's a whole podcast that's a podcast series but there were too many policies. There was a whole field of ponies charging towards you, which didn't really work. Whereas Labour have kind of been like, well, we would do this, but slightly differently because you have to meet people where they are. If Labour announced, and I think this was fundamentally misunderstood by people on the left who are like, oh, Starmer's not doing anything. But the moment Labour start to announce spending and investment, they will get torn apart by both Conservatives and the and, you know, right-wing press. By Labour just kind of doing nothing, you know, the whole Sun Tzu, don't interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake, and the government's making a lot of mistakes... They can kind of go, well, we don't think that we, we don't agree with this. And of course, Labour will have a plan. We have our five structures. They don't have to announce anything specific because it, the Tories look so bad at the moment. Labour have got time to figure out what they are. And if they announce policy now, in two, two years, the economics of it might not change. And then they've U-turned. They don't need to. There is something to be said for being opposition and ready to step in with ideas whenever. I don't think Labour having not having a lot of ideas right now is a problem. I think it's actually an asset to them electorally.
1: So Keir Starmer was in Glasgow on Friday, Alistair, wasn't he? Visiting uh, the Ford Shopping Market with Scottish Labour leader Anna Sawa. Multiple things have been said about Labour, you know, trying to get back into some sort of success in in Scotland. Many people saying that there's, there's various SNP marginals in terms of the Westminster MPs, that, that they could win at another general election. So Keir Starmer, I think, told The Record then, and he, and he, he said he it elsewhere, that he'd be ready for an election overnight. But I would argue that their bigger test in terms of their support is going to be the local elections coming up in May, of which Glasgow is the the jewel in the Scottish crown. Do you think that Labour can start to make those inroads that it needs to make to an extent in Scotland at the locals in May? And do do you think that they can you know, tackle the SNP dominance on, on a wider level while the Conservatives continue, as Alex say, to make mistakes and,
0: and hurt themselves? <laughs> I was
1: about to say it's such a,
0: a huge issue. I mean, it'll be interesting. See, I think I think you're right, the local elections would be really important. I think it'll probably be seen as quite a test for Anna Sawar as well, in terms of his leadership of the party. I think he's, you know, he's widely seen as a, an impressive political figure, as someone who could maybe appeal to the, that kind of middle Scotland that they're trying to capture in some ways. I think ultimately Scottish Labour's problem, and it's a problem that just won't go away, is that Scotland exists in this other political world where it's just completely divided in the constitution and Labour aren't really seen as a, as a co- kind of coherent force in that just because the Conservatives have kind of captured that pro-union, pro-UK kind of field of voters. And if you believe in Scottish independence, you're, you're likely to vote for the SNP, and it's quite hard for Labour to compete when, when that is the dominant issue in politics. And it's hard to know how they even go about changing that because I suppose Labour probably don't really want to be seen purely as, you know, this pro-Union and pro-UK party in the same way the Tories are quite happy just to present themselves as as kind of like the anti-SNP vote. You know, For Labour, it's, it's never really been part of their their reason for existing, their kind of founding mission. It's just not part of who they are. And I think it's, it's interesting in kind of recent times, you've seen that, you know, obviously Labour under... Richard Leonard in Scotland and Jeremy Corbyn uh, in the kind of rest of the UK had a, had a hard time when it comes to the, when it came to the constitution. They frequently kind of had confusing positions that kind of changed slightly, depending whether it was the UK party saying it or the Scottish party saying it. You never really knew where they stood. Sometimes they kind of said things that they went back on a little bit. It was just all a bit confusing. And I think that didn't help them at all. And I think under uh, Keir Starmer and Anna Sarwar, they're definitely much more coherent in terms of their constitutional position much more outwardly pro uk you know definitely don't want another independence referendum all that kind of stuff but i just it remains to be seen whether that will actually do them any favours in the polls i mean i think i think they they're in a strong position in the sense that or a stronger position in the sense that they, they've got that <laughs> they've got that coherence and they you know they have a situation where the, the tory party uk wide is in such a mess and at, at totally at odds with the scottish conservatives and that definitely throws open an opportunity for Labour to start appealing to some of those voters they might have lost. I just think it's going to be extremely tough for them. I just don't really see, you know, certainly in the short term future, I don't really see any kind of easy ways for them to to capture many of those voters they lost.
1: The latest uh, projections for a, a Westminster election in Scotland would see, I think, the SNP win, win all but four seats, of which two would be Lib Dem and two would be Labour. Although one of those is Kikodi, which is historically... Uh, an SNP seat as well. So what you're saying is
2: Labour would double their seats the next election in Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> I like really so. What an achievement that would be.
1: <laughs> I think it's actually, it's, it, that was quite a good segue, Alex, into into what I wanted to talk about next, which is Labour's current only MP in Scotland, who who came out over the weekend. This is Ian Murray, who is the Shadow Scotland Secretary for Labour as well, um, almost by necessity, um, who wrote to Simon Case, the most senior civil servant in the country, uh, asking him to essentially force the Scottish government, civil service to stop writing or stop working on a case for Scottish independence. This is a long running gripe, I would put it, for for pro-union you know, politicians who believe that the idea that a devolved civil service, maybe is the better way of putting it, can work on something like the constitution is just mad. Alistair, I know you have strong views, so I'm just going to let you talk about why you think this is a ludicrous position for Ian Murray to take?
0: I'm just kind of baffled by it, to be honest. I mean, she's basically arguing that, I mean, the civil service exists to, you know, carry out the government's agenda and the SP just won an election. You know, whether or not you think their agenda is a good agenda or not, they won an election and now, you know, they're quite open about when coronavirus started to be on the kind of downward slope, as they call it now, that they would restart the case for independence, the civil service would start working that for a new prospectus for independence and again, whether or not you think that's what they should be doing, that's what they won an election saying they're going to be doing. And it's no surprise that the civil service are then doing that. I would also say that, to be honest, if, if you are in a, in a position, which is a position that Nicola Sturgeon is in, where she's still saying that she wants to have that second independence referendum before the end of 2023, to have a team of 11 civil servants, you know, one senior civil servant, and I think that the rest are officials, essentially, working on or coordinating the work in a prospectus. It's not actually a huge amount of people, considering you're coming up with a you know, a vision for an entirely new state, entirely new country. I don't think it's a huge amount of people. I don't think it's surprising that they'd be they'd be doing this. I don't think it's scandalous for the civil service to be carrying out the agenda of the government that's in power. I can kinda of understand it from Labour's point of view if they want to be seen as this pro UK, pro union party and it's obviously something that they disagree with the, the SP on. They think that the kind of money that's being spent on this could be better spent elsewhere. And that's totally legitimate as a position. But in terms of writing to the designing case, I'm just baffled by it.
1: It's funny you say, you know, the money could be better spent. I mean, this is the SNP line and the SNP line as well. We look at the UK government who spent £900,000 on a uh, feasibility study for a bridge that everyone knew wouldn't work between Northern Ireland and Scotland and, you know, who's regularly wasted money on various things. Do you think, Alex, that this sort of rhetoric from pro-union parties helps
2: the cause? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about independence is saying ridiculous statements that play to your base and often have no real sense in reality. The idea that a unionist saying something a bit silly or expecting people not to work on it is bad when every single day, every SNP press release, you know, the most tenuous absurd comment about literally anything about a dog crossing the road and it would have got there quicker of course in an independent scotland i mean it's an absolute farce i i I completely reject the idea that a unionist labor mp shouldn't say hey now there hold on a minute maybe do uniony things because you're part of the union and i believe in a four you know in all four corners of the uk i mean it's it's just your politics but that's what the whole game is independence and that battle it's not based in any sense of reality when the union promises things promises things and when the independence people promise things none of it is like factual i mean there's not even plans for a currency yet it's it, the idea that this is some um, huge oh as a gaffe is is absurd it's going to annoy Nats, which i'm sure ian murray will be devastated about oh no i've said something that make all labor people go hold on a minute labor is kind of a pro-union party again after anasawa who was incredibly charismatic and fun but if we're being realistic kind of bottled the union question at the um Holyrood election with oh people don't want to talk about the constitution for so long labor have been scared and hiding from taking stances richard leonard did the same and it's not just on independence. They had let the narrative take place that they had um, ruined the finan- They caused financial crisis, they, uh, that they couldn't be trusted financially, that they uh, the immigration battle with Brexit, even Corbyn going, we should remain because it's kind of better, I think, and we can make it work. Labour for so long has been cowardly. I think saying something outlandish that's going to annoy the other side is a huge part of politics. And frankly, I think we should have more of it. I from the unionists, because I get so many silly press releases. And this is one of the most notable things about working politics, especially Scottish politics. The SNP say things that are so, I don't say disingenuous, but so extravagantly dramatic. And then the unionists will be like, well, we really like working and we can have a few devolved powers and delegate. And the SNP will be like, if we do this, we will have millions of pounds and the streets will be paved with gold and progressive politics, which is not true. So I think we may as well treat it like a game. Well done, Ian Murray. Good job. You're both wrong. Cheers. <laughs> Alistair, It shouldn't should
0: be a game. I mean, it just shouldn't <laughs> be a game. I mean, I totally agree yes, with you in the sense that that's what is. politics is, like, but it shouldn't be. I mean, this no, it's like, just so much sound and fury. And I think this totally turns people off politics, to be honest. This ridiculous kind of, and I, I totally agree with you, the, the s p do it as well. This kind of ridiculous narrative, this everything is so over the top. People are so disingenuous in the way they argue things. I just think it's so off-putting.
2: But the union side aren't going to win by playing safe. And this, we saw this in Brexit. The union would be like, you know, or the the Remain team even would go, well, you know, we get a lot of money and uh, it's kind of good. And then the leavers would be like, oh, we will give 350 million pounds and there's immigrants from Turkey, even though it's not true. You need to be a bit flamboyant and silly. I know it's a game and I know that's really unpleasant and it's a horrible thing to have to witness and be aware that this is how politics works, but it's not... It's not a battle of ideas. It's a battle of messaging and metaphor. <laughs> and I think that, you know, Labour, who again have been weak on it for so long, I think it's good. And the Scottish Tories won. Well, but you know, they did. They beat Labour in the election by that whole thing being no to Ref 2 and taking a strong position on it that was, you know, quite silly and um, indulgent. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You can only be what's in front of you and you can't win if you don't play. Mm. One of the interesting things I think that people have been asking
1: is, you know, we we had a poll a couple of weeks ago about independence. It was the first one for, for quite a while. First one post party gate and all of that. And for, I think now we're we're getting on seven or eight months, maybe more, maybe nine months on from the election last year where the volatility in... The independence voting intention from the public was, you know, very high. There was very high for yeses in, in, at the back end of 2020, dropping to, to lower support for yes towards the election. My argument would be I think people are at the point, I think the majority of people are at the point where rhetoric and messaging doesn't impact how they view the Constitution anymore, because that's the only thing that's kind of right. As, as you say, it riles up the bases. It's the people who are in the middle, that 8% in our last yeah, poll who are agreed. undecided who require answers to the big questions like the currency like borders and i think if you as if you as a unionist politician undermine the work of you know civil servants i think it actually makes it harder to then criticise those issues further down the line because you've you've already said that it's complete nonsense it shouldn't be happening and then when the ideas come forward it's harder to then go well, actually, this shows what's wrong with independence. I think you have to now, on, a, on both sides, the SNP are just as bad at it. You have to now present a decent prospectus for remaining in the union from a unionist point of view, which hasn't been done, and also for independence. And you have to give
2: people the opportunity to do that without prejudging the, the outcome, personally. I don't think... and so I, hear, I hear what you're saying, and, I, and, you, and you are right, uh, they want answers but I don't think it is illegitimate for a unionist to say you are spending this much money and this much time on independence and that money could be better spent elsewhere. I know that it's slightly inflammatory because he's written to the Scottish civil servant, sure, but he is the shadow Scotland secretary and saying that money should be spent elsewhere and there are other things that we could be doing when, you know, there hasn't even been a referendum bill passed yet. I don't think it's an legitimate position. I know that it's you know, it's slightly funny and dramatic, but I really, I don't, I feel that 8% and you're not sure and you hear an MP saying, well, they can put money towards the bill, you know, towards, you know, looking into it and preparing or they can put money towards a school. I don't think that is, that is a serious point. You might, you might disagree with the manner in which he's gone about it, but I don't think that isn't a point that will land with the 8%. Alistair.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I I wouldn't disagree with that. I think it is a serious point and it's totally a legitimate argument to make. And it's an argument that if you are a unionist, you know, you should be making that argument because that is intrinsically what this is all about. You know, the best way to kind of live in modern Scotland and what's going to benefit the most amount of people. And all these kind of issues are just so important. And that is what we should be arguing about. But I just think all this sound and fury just doesn't help. I agree with Connor in the sense, you know, you've got these kind of wavering voters in the middle or these voters that could potentially go either way. And I think if if the focus is on them, which... You know, by all accounts, it should be in some ways. I don't think this kind of stuff helps. But both sides are bad for it. You know, I'm not saying that one side is worse than the other. I think that's one of the natures of Scottish politics. One of the things that makes it so frustrating to cover is that so much of it is this stuff. It is this kind of you know meaningless noise and this kind of you know constant kind of nonsense. To be honest,
1: bananas are curvy because of the because they're not in the EU, right? or whatever the hell the argument was back then it's the same it's the same sort of nonsense that's extended to to the independence debate and Rangers you know, would not on the
2: league if uh, Scotland <laughs>
1: didn't I, I think as well you know you, we we talk about labor and being ready to you know maybe take on the dominance of the SNP you know the, there's there's one really big thing that they need to get right this year and that is you know whenever it comes Gordon Brown's treaties on the future of of the union and the devolution and devolution i understand that's that's due to come out in the next 6 months but god knows if that's true or not is editing it <laughs> yeah. um, that feels like a key aspect of their pitch to scottish voters much like the vow was just prior to the scottish independence referendum and if they get that right at least you have an idea and i think this is the critical thing when talking about middle scotland and labor are right in focusing on it you know, at least those people who are wavering somewhere in the middle will have an idea of what a Labour government would deliver for Scotland in terms of either more powers or how it would exist within a union that is changing and is different. We already know pretty much what a union with the Conservative Party led by Boris Johnson is because we've lived through it for two years. We don't have a clue what the independent scotland would be because the SNP refused to talk about it in any meaningful way so there is a little gap there for labor in my view it'd be interesting to see what they come out with and whether or not they can actually take some of that narrative and as you were saying alex you know take control a little bit and make a stance on the union that people can read and understand and maybe back
2: i think you know if you stand for nothing what will you fall for Uh, i think it's not Bad for Labour to take positions when, for so often under the previous leadership, they were considered as you know just like the SNP blight or whatever. You know you don't win arguments by hiding away from them, and it's not enough to go well we'll ignore the Constitution, but here's what we do domestically because it's something everyone cares about. And I think you do you know you've got to try and bring people over. You have to make the case because otherwise the Conservatives will just hold that ground and the SNP will swallow everyone up. You've got to be braver and bolder. And at least in Anas, they do have a charismatic leader who I think can make that argument. And in Murray, they've got someone who, at least, you know, will, will annoy enough people to maybe make other people make the argument for him.
0: Alistair, final thoughts? Yeah, I would just uh, agree with many of what's been said. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I think one of the problems is that I think you're, you're obviously pointing to this Gordon Brown report and the idea of, I suppose this kind of ties into the whole idea of Devo Max. I mean, that's what we're kind of expecting, this kind of idea of more devolution Devo Max to Scotland. I think one of the problems with it is no one knows what it means in practice. And I think if they do define it, the other problem is that it's incredibly complicated and it's really hard to get across exactly. Even even if this report comes out and it's incredibly detailed and they've got this vision, how do you sell that to people? It kind of goes back to what Alex was saying is politics is to some degree messaging and selling this complicated idea of Devo Max will be difficult when you've got, you know, on the one hand at the moment, quite a binary choice. It's easy for people to make a decision. You know, it will be interesting to see what what happens with that, but I'm just not convinced it will, it will offer an easy solution for Labour.
1: Well, that's all we've got time for this week on The Steamy. Thank you very much to Alistair and Alex for joining us. And thank you very much at home for listening. The Steamy, a laudable production for The Scotsman.